Hey there, everybody. It's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey. And today we have a very special guest. Chris Spivey joins us. Uh, he is the mastermind behind Darker Hue Studios. Are we uh, pronouncing that correct? Yes. I, I like your cover-up <laughs> of where you pause for a whole second trying to think of something. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's all improv, so uh, yeah, I just kind of like wing it and then cut out those pauses <laughs> well it, it's funny you should say that because like you you have um the any award-winning <laughs> harlem unbound under your belt and now you have many other projects <laughs> coming out <laughs> um which is why you're here we want to talk about some of those right. um first and foremost i guess is the current kickstarter which is in the last stages? Right uh, we've got about three weeks from today, actually. Okay, okay. So, not that bad. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So, the current Kickstarter is Haunted West. It's a historical fiction, weird West, spaghetti, Western action game. And it's built on sort of a multi-tier structure that we've got the Weird West, then we have the actual historical fiction, and then we've built in different systems on top of that. And the game itself is actually targeted to telling the true history of the West and amplifying all the forgotten voices that were there along with the rest of them. Because a lot of Hollywood's Westerns and everything else is sort of whitewashed history, and we're aiming to change that narrative to what it actually is. Yeah, well, those Hollywood Westerns are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm, a, I'm a huge not fan of the Western. <laughs> yeah, he, Steve Steve is like the most uh, anti-Western person. He likes a good weird Western, but, uh, you know, you can't talk to him about, you know, the man with no name or anything like that. We can at least talk to you about High Noon, right? Like, right. that's... Well, or, or, okay. or Blazing Saddles, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Blazing Saddles. I'm, Another I'm classic. Um, no, I actually, uh, uh, part of the reason I don't like Westerns is um, I just can't stand John Wayne. And John Wayne has always been foremost in my mind when it comes to Westerns. Whenever I think of Westerns, I think of John Wayne, and then I want to throw up. Well, there <laughs> so. are so many other Westerns that are that are non-Wayne Westerns. <laughs> I know, I, but I, it just, that like sticks in my craw. That's just me. No, no, I, I agree with you. I have a problem with John Wayne and his lack of service during uh, World War II. And yeah, and that whole uh, dressing up as Genghis Khan thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are lots of issues with, with the Duke. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me. I enjoy Westerns when they're directed by, like, Kurosawa. So True. There's... There's that. Hmm. Well, that's that's a whole different conversation we can get into about that's, the that's legal true. arguments that then happened after the um, for like a wow, I forgot my my title now. Sorry, it's been a, a long Sunday of keeping the kid pretty much by myself. I hear for you. the whole man with a no name trilogy, which was actually based on Kurosawa's work, and there was like a, a massive legal battle that spiraled for years. Yeah, um, for I think it's Fistful of Dollars. It's like a shot-for-shot shot remake of Yojimbo, which is like the best movie ever made. Yeah, but I was just reading, and it might have been on your Kickstarter page, Chris, where um, the uh, – now I'm having the brain fart. Um, happens to the best of us. The man with no name, the, the big one. 
Um, you mean the good, the bad? No, 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 the, the other ugly. Big one. No, yeah, that that's the big one. That's like what the entire trilogy builds up to. Yeah, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more. The good, bad, no, and the ugly. no, no, no. The the, the um. Are you talking about we, how the West was won? That isn't really no, a part of any where, of that. Where Eastwood like rolls into town and has his revenge on all the people who hanged him. Pale Rider. Uh, pale. No. Yeah. Pale Rider. Not part bad? of that. Not part of that. Okay. Like it's had, called. Had no name. Well, it's <laughs> it's the man with no name trilogy. Right. Now, uh, now, where I, does I where did Unforgiven fall into that? I so thought right. Unforgiven was part of that series as well. I don't think so, but I no. I could be wrong. That's that's neither here nor there because we're not talking about Clint Eastwood's version of the West and its empty <laughs> chair. We're talking about your version of the West. Well, we're talking about what reclaiming the West for yes. like, actual history. Or more accurate portrayals of history. And so one of the big parts was even like some of the people working on the book didn't know, for instance, that 30% of all the cowpokes were black and they Mm -hmm. didn't know stuff like that. And so it was a chance to actually teach history to some of the team as they learned it themselves. And it's the same history that we want to teach other people. But we also want to make sure that we have a healthy dose of the weird to make it engaging and active for people to play with. Now, when you brought in the weird aspects to it, did you go with like traditional folklore or we, uh, the more twenties pulp stuff, or kind of a combination of the two? We leaned more heavily on actual folklore, and mm-hmm. then we infused the underlayer with that with some of our own creativity and stuff we wanted to see done. Uh, you guys designed your own engine to go along with this game, as opposed to uh, licensing it to a different engine. So one of my ideas for the game from how it's built to be played is that it is modular. So we have the a brand new system that's D100 roll under, but we've added a lot of little tweaks to it. So it's approachable to new gamers and old gamers will find some interesting aspects to it. But it's built on a three-tier structure. We have a more narrative game that's pretty much all story-driven than a more standard version that's a mix of like heavy dice rolling and heavy storytelling and it goes down to a miniatures level. So if you want to get all old school with like the grid map and everything else, you could have sprawling gun battles like that also. Ah, like the old uh, TSR Boot Hill. Something like that. Or yeah. you could even go a little bit more like the Pathfinder and D&D, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you have like different increments for abilities and powers. Mm-hmm. And those abilities can be sort of peeled off where if you wanted to use certain aspects from narrative... For the minis game, you could, and you could pick and choose which ones you want to use. But it's all based on the D100, and it can be layered on top of that. So you could even mix and match within a single campaign or a single adventure, just jump back and forth between the tiers? Yes, that's the goal. Ah, excellent, excellent. So you could have one night where you just lay out the mat and throw some minis on the table, and one night where you're just all narrative. And that sounds like a lot of fun. It it is. And it took a a lot of work to be able to do it, but we think we've got it. And it's so much so that we even layered the actual book structure like that too, Mm -hmm. where if you wanted, you could play a more historically accurate game where you could more likely to die of dysentery than being shot. Right. Or if you wanted weird, then you could have a heavy dose of weird from like a light incursion of the weird where you occasionally might bump into a vampire or such to, temporary displaced rhinos sorry temporarily displaced dinosaurs that you're that everyone's battling to try to take care of 
Wow. Like a, a Lost Valley kind of kind of situation. Yep. And one of the stretch goals I'm actually going to put up is this entire underground clockwork setting that I built if people really want to play in it. So we call our character classes Paragons because we're going more for the mythic feel of the West. And they encompass a lot of different character classes, basically. Mm-hmm. And the Clockwork City itself is this sort of sprawling, massive thing that get, deals heavily with the weird. Nice. It's nice. So you're adding a little clock punk in there as well? I may have clock a thing punk. for Clockwork. Ah! Clock <laughs> punk. Hey, it's a, it's a thing! <laughs> Don't they just it call is. it steam? Isn't that like just part no, of the No, no, no it's there, completely different. There is a difference. <laughs> I say I'm learning so much. <laughs> there's there's a soapbox worth of difference I could get on, but I won't do it today. That's right. That's but that's the point of this game is to teach you something, whether it's about the true history of the American West or about clock the punk. minutia of different <laughs> different punk genres. Yeah, and the other big layer that I've added to the game that I really hope people engage with is that we've also created an alternate timeline, which. You don't have to use to play if you don't want to, but my hope is that people will. Will, And the timeline itself sort of is called Haunted West Reconstruction, mm-hmm. which we take the events that Booth originally had a plan to assassinate Lincoln and kill a number of other key people. And originally, Booth's plan failed somewhat, and Andrew Johnson actually ascended to the presidency. And Johnson himself was a former slave owner that was very lenient on the South. Mm-hmm. So in our timeline the one we're giving as an alternate timeline is Booth managed to assassinate both Lincoln and Johnson. And that puts a different person in charge of the presidency, which changes the entire game as in all the laws that would have been placed against the South stops them from reentering Congress. And it has a spiraling effect on the rest of America and the rest of the world. And who is the third in line after after Johnson in that time period? Well, there's some talk that it might have been Stewart at the time, but as the Constitution actually changed about five or ten years later, it would have been Stewart. But instead, for us, it would have been Lafayette, and so we put Lafayette in charge. And Stewart himself, in the initial plot, is still wounded how he was in actual history. So we only changed one event, hmm. and based on that one event, it will change the entire course of the world weird how that works but uh yeah definitely one little thing can change everything ask barry allen <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't do it for our mom so right. it's, it's a little different than barry <laughs> a very unique role-playing experience and what what inspired you to to, well, to undertake such a task as a, a kid, I've always sort of loved Westerns because it was something my grandmother and I would do together on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. We were poor in Alabama and we had one TV. And so around nine o'clock, the Westerns would start and she would roll in and then we would change from cartoons. And I was upset probably for the first month or so. Mm-hmm. But then it sort of became like our own ritual and that sort of ingrained enjoying Westerns into me. And mm-hmm. even as I watched the Westerns, it was always painful for me not to see anyone that looked like me. Right, And if I did, they were either a villain or the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that stuck with me. And even as we were working on Harlem Unbound, uh, I'm sorry, the multi-gold award-winning Harlem Unbound. <laughs> uh, this, this particular <laughs> book right here? That book right there. Okay. The For those book- of you at home, it's got a reddish cover. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Everybody so, out there in Radio Land doesn't see the picture of the book. So we also won a gold any for best cover that you've just described as reddish. It but. is it's reddish. Um, it's, it's stylized to look like it's um, something that you might find during the Harlem Renaissance um, with Cthulhu there and uh, on the on the marquee and or on the poster and the elder sign on the door. It, it is a nice cover. Yeah, I dig that art style. Thank you. Uh, I'll make sure Brennan hears that. Um, <laughs> Brennan Reese, by the way, if you don't know who Brennan Reese is, you should look him up. He's an incredibly talented artist, musician, game designer. Amazing. Is he doing, is he doing the cover for um, Haunted West? Yes, he is. We've actually released the um, the current cover on the Kickstarter. People want to see it. I've, I've nice. seen it. It looks really good. <laughs> I, I didn't stalk the Kickstarter any before you came on. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you guys like hit the actual funding mark like pretty quick, didn't you? I, in under three hours, I think like a little over two and a half hours, we'd been funded. Wow, that I'm that's got to be a record. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I saw that Root is out there, and I think Root Root is now over four hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So if Someone would like to give us, I think, another 360k. We'd happily take it. Nice. Of course you would. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should do this. So, I mean, it's not like the book's not going to see print. So you're getting a copy of it no matter what. Now we're yeah. into stretch goals. That's where the sweet comes in. It's a mix of the sweet. And for me, one of the things I really want to do with stretch goals is I wanted to reinforce how important the team was. So we've included multiple tiers where every time we hit it, the team's pay increases by 10%. Because, as everyone knows, working in RPGs is the fastest way to go bankrupt doing something you love. Uh, except for podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the other things down the pike from uh, out for Darker Hue Studios? I know that you're working on a superhero uh, game, yes? Um, so, I guess if we want to talk about some of the work I've done, other than Haunted West, which, if you have not backed it, please, everyone, go back it. Help the team, help me, help make this the best thing it can be. But for other projects, I'm currently working on Mask of the Mythos, which is basically introducing the entire Mythos Pantheon into Scion, which for anyone that doesn't know Scion, Scion's by Onyx Path. It's a game where all the player characters are sort of children of the gods in a modern-day myth structure. Now, Onyx Path, they're, they're the guys who... Uh kind of took over part of the Vampire the Masquerade, that uh, storyteller system? Yes. Uh, vampire, there's maids, there's werewolf, there's deviants. Uh, they do some amazing work, and one of the things that I really like about Onyx Path is they've worked on increasing the inclusion of the stories they tell and the actual inclusion of the people writing those stories. Because hmm. it's one thing to tell an inclusive story, but if you don't have an inclusive staff of people creating it, you're not telling the story properly, and you might be sort of appropriating someone else's story. Right. They contacted me, and they said, Chris, we really heard that you know a lot about the mythos. We want to have a different take on the mythos. Would you be interested in being the lead developer for the book? And I, of course, said yes, because in case anyone doesn't know on the podcast, I have any of my work. I'm a, a huge mythos fan, not a fan of Lovecraft, because Lovecraft is an ardent racist that was even racist for its time, but a fan of the mythos. Mm -hmm. And I've worked on Cthulhu Confidential, which Langston Wright is one of my creations, and it was great to work with the Pilgrim staff. I helped Mike Mason redo the Dead Man Stomp scenario 
by Lynn and Mark Morrison, who that was a scenario that actually made me a Call of Cthulhu player. So it was sort of a great honor to be asked cool. to do it. And I think write maybe 15% of the scenario. That is a fine scenario. Thank you. <laughs> um, in addition to that, I helped them redo Master and Althotep, focusing on the Harlem section. So I've, yeah, I've because the original of that was not racist in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. I did not, but I neither confirmed nor denied. Oh, uh, we—that's how this whole thing started with us playing Master of Lathotep, and it was a struggle. I ran it, and it was a struggle, like getting it so it wasn't horrible. Mm-hmm. And so I, I helped them out a little bit with that, and that was great. Um, so other work, if you're just curious in general, I actually got a chance to write for Doctor Who, and there's a new upcoming Doctor Who book that I am elated to be part of because I'm a longtime Doctor Who fan of 30-plus years. Which Doctor did you get to write? Oh, it, it's redacted. Oh, you can't tell us which one? They, they've only told me that I can say that I wrote for Doctor Who. I cannot say anything else about the book. Ah, that's fair. Doctor Who is a great thing, and, and that's really an interesting show because balls out weird all the time. And they play a lot with history. And oh, yeah. So, surprisingly enough, one of my favorite things to write about is history, so it's mm-hmm. not, I guess, shocking that I would love a science fiction show that plays with history. Mm-hmm. Time travel. <laughs> Every time. Um, but you mentioned the superheroes book. So I had the chance to write, this is an, a book that I wrote entirely by myself with no one else, a modern day superhero Cthulhu mythos book. It's, I wrote, it's a setting book with, I want to say it has four scenario, five scenarios and a couple of scenario hooks mm-hmm. and it's full on superheroics. It basically took pulp Cthulhu that turned investigators up by three notches and turn the pulp heroes up by 10 notches. Mm. You've got low-level Superman hurling cars and shooting heat beams from his eyes to, like, female flashes doing eight attacks per round against people in it. It's, I think it's beautiful and incredible, but I wrote it. So I can keep by it. <laughs> just, maybe just a little. Yeah. All the playtesters loved it. They enjoyed the actual freedom of having superpowers, but there's also then the mythos element that has crushed people. The actual playtest group that played in the campaign were almost brought to tears by the end of the game. I'm I'm noticing a a, a flash theme throughout the show, by the way. Uh, The the flash is probably the one thing that we both agree on. (laughs) Everyone loves the flash. Everybody loves the flash. He's the flash. But, uh, yeah, we do enjoy The Flash, and, and particularly superheroes and things like that. It's one of the other things that kind of got this show started. So, yeah, definitely want to check out this Superheroes and Mythos book because that's been something I've personally been toying with in gaming for a while. So It's in Chaosium's hands. I submitted my draft in March, and I think I'm just waiting for red lines. Oh, so, if you were at Gen Con, you could have actually run in a playtest, a new playtest version of the game that I tweaked last year. Ah, but that would require me going out in public. <laughs> <laughs> going back to the current Kickstarter, because, you know, we, we obviously want to plug that. Once that closes, are you going to give people a chance to get in on it and just get a copy of it through the um, 
through backer kit or whatever you're using. So I'm going to use backer kit. My thing is, I know some people may be waiting for the Kickstarter to end to decide they want to invest in it. Some, similar to what happened with Harlem Unbound. It's going to be a limited run of books. And I still have people today, I get at least 10 emails a month asking me if I still have copies of Harlem Unbound. So I would say if you want to make sure you have a copy of the book, jump in now. You can still get copies of Harlem Unbound online for two to three times the base cost of the book. I, I, I got mine at my friendly local game store. That's the best I, way to get it. Well, because they probably uh, participated in the Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> and for this Kickstarter, actually, after speaking to someone, we included a retail tier that we didn't originally have. So if any of the retails, any of the old brick and mortars or the friendly local gaming stores want in, they can get six books for $170. Nice. Yeah, that's a that's a hell of a bargain. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, go lean on the folks at Pandemonium, Steve. I was just there today. <laughs> well, you were there too early. <laughs> I was. Have you had any, any fallout on the Kickstarter from uh, their anti-union stance? One of the things is the unions themselves have asked people to keep backing creators. Mm-hmm. And I have received a number of emails and private messages saying that they don't want to back the Kickstarter because of all of that. Mm -hmm. But if the unions say back creators, then people should really do what the unions are asking them to do. Mm -hmm. Because you're removing the union's own agency to sort of help them decide how things should flow. Mm. And so we're suffering because of it. But as long as the unions are good with what we're doing... I'm not going to say I feel good about it, but I feel better. And it was a hard decision for us to decide to do or not. Mm-hmm. Because when we actually launched a Kickstarter, I think the CEO, we didn't know at the time, made their announcement about an hour before we launched. Oh, wow. It was, like, it was right around the same time. And it was like what he had to say was horrible. It was atrocious. Mm-hmm. and But we'd already built the entire campaign and all of our stuff to launching on Kickstarter at this day on this time. What What and is it, the, the average for Kickstarter cut of a, of a campaign? Uh, I think based on Harlem Bound, I think they take around 5%, but I don't know off the top of my head. That's, nah. that's me freestyling. That's fine. So. Freestyling's fine. Um, yeah, I was just curious cause you know, we've had, a, we've got a lot of folks, uh, that we know do Kickstarters for different projects. And, you know, I just never knew. I knew that part of it was how Kickstarter made their money, but I just didn't know how much money. But 95% to the creators is is huge. huge. It makes a difference because without Kickstarter, I do not want to plug them right now, but without Kickstarter, Home and Bound wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. I went to a lot of different companies. I tried to, like, share the book, and everyone I went to told me that we will not publish this book because no one will buy it. No one wants to see what you're trying to do. Who's the jokes on a lot of people, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, um, like you said, you it's hard to get this book now. You should send every one of those suckers a picture of your book with all the innies <laughs> like, laying on top of it. And you're like, 
what? Nobody wanted to see this? <laughs> That's, that is not how I want to use my time or my energy. <laughs> okay. I'd rather use it trying Rod- to make something else that no one else wants to publish. S- send Rod- me the, send me the you. picture. I'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Because petty and vindictive is that's I can do that easy. <laughs> and even if you look at the current Kickstarter, you see that we've got the Kickstarter's United logo. They've asked creators to put on their Kickstarter mm-hmm. because while we're on Kickstarter, we fully support what Kickstarter's United is doing, mm-hmm. and that they should be able to unionize, mm-hmm. like hands down. There is right. that is without a doubt they should be able to do that. And I I, I fully agree. It's like go go give them your money. It's okay. It's all good. This is how it works out. I, I thought it was really great hanging out with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Appreciate the time. That's all for this week, and until next time, keep 30 luck points. <laughs> <laughs>